Welcome to Friends in Fiction, five best-selling authors and the stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson-Harvey, Patty Callahan-Henry, and Mary Alice Monroe are five longtime friends with more than 80 published books to their credit. In 2020, they created Friends in Fiction to provide author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing and to highlight independent bookstores. These friends discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Friends in Fiction is sponsored by Mama Geraldine's Bodacious Foods, the company that makes Mama Geraldine's cheese straws, which come in six varieties and are the best-selling cheese straws in the United States. Founded by former radio executive Kathy Cunningham and named for her mother, they have melt-in-your-mouth cookies, too. Delicious treats and a woman-owned empire now that is something that friends in fiction can really get behind. Try them. You'll be so glad you did. Get 20% off on your online order at mamageraldines.com with the code FAB5. Snack on, y'all. We'd also like to thank our other sponsor, Page One Books, who offer a book subscription package that we love. They hand-select books for you each month based on your preferences and their book knowledge. And because the reads are being chosen by actual independent booksellers, you know you're more than just an algorithm. The subscription package, which can run 3, 6, or 12 months, is a perfect gift for a book lover, even if that book lover is you. Page One Books, the personal touch of an indie bookstore with the delight and surprise of an online subscription service curated just for you. First-time subscribers get 10% off with the code FAB5 at page1books.com. I'm Mary Alice Monroe. And I'm Mary Kay Andrews. And you're listening to Friends and Fiction, the podcast arm of our Wednesday night Facebook Live webcast. You can also listen to all our episodes on our Friends and Fiction YouTube channel. Today, we're chatting about a woman who seems to have enough energy, ideas, and enthusiasm to single-handedly run a small country or a large family. Of course, we're talking about and to Zibby Owens, who is the award-winning creator of the popular Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books podcast. But like most women and moms that we know, she wears so many more hats. She's also an author a mother of four, as we mentioned, and a powerhouse book influencer whose literary salons over the course of the past three years have introduced followers to hundreds of works of fiction and nonfiction. All of these books that reflect on women's lives, issues, and concerns. And her show was a top literary podcast, as selected by Oprah.com, in 2019 and 2020. She also created Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight. Uh, I'm on that 100% community and host the accompanying podcast. I also love her really wonderful quick writing tips from authors, Wake Up and Write. Well, maybe at some point, Zibby will ask one of us to offer a writing tip. 
Oh, I sure hope so. I'd love to. Well, what connects all these projects is the encouragement Zibby offers women to carve out time to become engaged, to find pleasure in the company of books, and especially through her podcast, the opportunity to make time for a literary chat with friends. And that's a mission that all five of us at Friends in Fiction can heartily endorse. We've been especially looking forward to discussing Zibby's newest project, Moms Don't Have Time To, a quarantine anthology published just this past February. So let's bring her on and ask her how she came to birth this latest brainchild. Zibby. Zibby. Hi. <laughs> Hi, ladies. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks so much for coming and welcome, welcome. Your introduction points to all you're busy with while raising a family. It's literally and that's pun intended, awe-inspiring. How did you get into doing all the things you're doing? What was the initial spark? So take me back to the beginning of this glorious journey. Okay. Not not every minute was so glorious, let me say. Um, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> what, what started the whole thing is I, well, really, if you go back, what really started it is that I got divorced. And suddenly ah. I had time on my hands when my kids would go to my ex-husband's house every other weekend. And for the first time in almost a decade, there was silence and I had time. And so I turned more to books and writing and reading the way I have always done my whole life. And I started writing more essays. I started publishing parenting essays when I had the time to do it. And one yep. of those essays called A Mother's Right to Sanity on HuffPost went somewhat viral and really encouraged me to keep going. So I started doing more and more. And one night after I'd collected a bunch of essays, my husband said to me, you know, you should really write a book with all your parenting essays. And I said, ugh, mom said I have time to read books. And then I was like, oh, that's so funny. I think I'll make that the title of my book. Oh, So okay. I tried, I put together a book proposal and um, met with a couple <clears throat> people about it. And I had no platform, right? I had, I've been writing freelance articles since I was 14, but of course that does not count. Uh, neither did the book I ghost wrote and neither did really any, anything on my resume. <laughs> Nothing matters. Uh, I wasn't on social media at the time. And so a friend of mine said, you should try starting a podcast. And I was like, well, what's a podcast? Mm. So I went home after we met in the school lobby. She was a a friend from um, we, our kids went to the same school. And my husband and I sat on the couch that's right here behind you and tried to find the button of how to listen to a podcast and finally did. And then I had to figure out, well, what should my podcast be about if I do a podcast? And I was going to clip articles and and just read them because I'm always sending articles to friends and yeah. ripping things out and recommending books and doing all this. So I thought, well, I'll just read them because people are so busy. Maybe they'll have time to listen. Then I found out that was illegal. So I scrapped that plan and thought, well, I guess I could interview authors. I knew like, I don't know, three authors. So <laughs> I could start with them and see how it goes. So that's what I did. And I just Googled how to start a podcast and recorded it. The first one, I read that original essay as my first episode in my bedroom across the hall and thought I would just kind of quietly try it using that same title that I had wanted to be a book. So how long ago was that? Because to what's a podcast these days is like asking what's a weekend. I know. I sounded so naive. It was over three years ago at this point. Okay. Um, yeah. I had known one person who had done a podcast. I just haven't, I was not into that genre. And yes, in the last three years, my gosh, 
things have exploded in so many ways for this industry. So yeah. it was nice to get in on it before literally everybody I know has a podcast. Before everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sibby, the anthology includes original essays by best-selling and award-winning writers like Chris Bojayan, who we're going to have on Friends and Fiction, Sonali Dev, also Gretchen Rubin, Jill Santopolo, Evangeline Lilly, and Laura Mary Philpot. I'm intrigued. How did you choose the contributors and the topics they addressed? And I was curious about how you organized all those essays. Now, was that a um, cart and horse situation? So this actually wasn't supposed to be a book. Before the pandemic, it was going to be a website, which is sort of what my new website is turning into be in a way. But I wanted to make it a big, splashy, goop-like website where I would have essays on all the different things that moms didn't have time to do. And I had like a zillion different ideas for that. Um, I was looking into hiring a web design firm and making this whole thing. When I started it, I emailed all the authors in one like mass email who had been on my podcast that far. At that point, there had been about 300 or so people. Uh, now there have been over 600. But at th- I think there were about 300. Um, and this was last January 2020. And I just emailed them all. And I said, I'm starting this new thing. And I'm commissioning personal essays. And I would love for you to be involved. And basically, anyone who wrote back at that time was in. I mean, <laughs> that's basically what happened. Um, a lot Gee, of people I don't remember like, getting that email. <laughs> no, but you had to have already been on my podcast. No, yes. I know. Um, and some people got added along the way, but yeah. I, once I heard who was interested, I put a spreadsheet together of things that I wanted them to write about based on either their books or the conversations we'd had on the podcast. So for instance, someone could have come on to talk about a thriller, but mentioned that she loved running. And so I got spoke to her. I picked the five topics for the first anthology, which were moms don't have time to eat, read, have sex, breathe. And (laughs) um, what's the last one? I don't know, something else really important that we don't have time to do that I can't remember. <laughs> lose so, weight, probably. Uh, lose, lose weight's going to be in the second anthology. Okay. Eat, uh, anyway, uh, I haven't slept, so I can't even answer my own questions. <laughs> anyway, I thought they were the ones that moms didn't have time to do the most and that would resonate with people the most. So mm-hmm. I started with those. And then for my next anthology, which comes out in November, I actually posted on Facebook and I was like, fill in the sentence, moms don't have time to blank. Like, what do you have time to do the least? So that's how I got my next topics. Although most people said they didn't have time to finish a cup of coffee while it was still warm, but I didn't think that would generate too many essays, although it did (laughs) inspire me to buy this mug, which has changed my life. (laughs) Look what I got too. I mean, literally, we were both looking at little tops for our, our ceramic. That's a good idea. So that's um, that's how it happened. And then I launched – when the pandemic came, I decided to forget about all the plans for the Splashy website. And my four kids were home and doing remote school, and we were sequestered as we stayed for weeks and months like everybody. And I thought, well, I'm just going to throw these essays up on my own website. And I begged a girlfriend who I had worked with right after college to make my website look a little bit better than the yeah. standard issue Squarespace. And we just <laughs> published a couple essays each week for – a couple months. And then eventually that summer, it felt like things were getting back to normal a little bit enough, right? We were all getting together outside a little more distance. My kids could see a couple kids. So I thought, well, maybe people don't have time to read this. So I stopped. But then in September, I went back and I thought, I wonder how many essays I ended up 
running and I called it We Found Time because it felt like We Found Time. It turned out I had over 60. And so I copied and pasted them all into one document. And I was like, oh, it's a book. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. So, so, and I was like, this is going to be the easiest sell because I have all the contracts already signed. And I had included that I could make them into an anthology because I was like, who knows? Yeah. And um, I just went to this one publisher who I knew could turn things really quickly. And that's what happened. Congratulations. Yeah, I was thinking it was really tricky to herd that many notoriously independent-minded kitten writers. But it sounds to me like you, since you already manage a household, including four kids of different ages, you had that down pat. <laughs> I, I'm not just because they live here doesn't mean I'm successful in getting them to do anything. Just hey, if they're alive at the end of the day, you're successful. I do feel that way sometimes. That's, then, <laughs> That's a win. <laughs> no, I do have pretty, I have pretty good kids and I had pretty good writers. So, um, oh, that's good. Uh, I also had amazing editors who I worked with. So I don't mean mm. to suggest in any way that I did this by myself. I worked with Claire Gibson and Alyssa Altman and then Carolyn Murnick joined in about halfway through and we did it as a team. It was really mm-hmm. great. And they would take the first stab and I did finishing copy edits and, you know, everybody worked on it. It was great. Well, I've seen pictures of your house, which is fabulous, and there are stacks of books everywhere. I mean, I can't even imagine how many books that come to your house every day. I know we get some, but I, but you, I can't believe you must be on a first name basis with a UPS driver. I, I, I just can't imagine, or put probably um, running tracks through your carpeting. But as a mom who doesn't have time to read books. What's your secret to reading so many books? Are you a speed reader? Do you listen to audio books? How do you get through so many books? Uh, I do all those things. I listen to audiobooks yeah. while I do other things like walk the dog um, mm-hmm. or walk somewhere or drive with the kid somewhere. Um, I do speed read. I don't finish every book. Uh, mm-hmm. I try, but I, de- I, I make a point to read at least the first 50 to 100 pages of every book slowly. And then I speed up. Um, oh, that's fascinating. That's a tip I've never heard. I don't know. That's just what I do. Because I, like I feel that. like after the first hundred pages, I really get what's going on. I know I can, I have a lot to discuss. I only have half an hour on my podcast. Some books I finish and not, I can't finish all of them. It's like impossible. Um, I do seven podcasts a week on different books. So uh, I would love to. I mean, literally, that would be a dream if I could just read all day, every day. Yeah. But I read in all sorts of different times throughout the day, too. So I don't – and it's not passive reading. I'm not, like, laying on the couch. It's more like when you read for school. So I'm, like, at my desk and I have a pen and I'm turning down pages or, um, you know, I always read while I put my kids to bed because that takes forever. So they sit and then they pop out and they sit and pop out. And, you know, what I used to drive me crazy because I was like, I need to go get work done. And now I'm like, (laughs) well, I'm going to use this time. So they're always like, okay, do you have your book, Mom? You know, so then I go get the book and (laughs) – yeah. I yeah, I just try to fit it in. I love it. I love reading. It's, you know, it's such a passion. So mm-hmm. what you were saying all those books arriving. I mean, it does not get old. <laughs> no, I mean it. It's, it's like, like Christmas it every is. day. It's so nice. I mean, I literally <clears throat> bought a library cart because I couldn't fit them all even in my shelf. So I have like stacks on this library cart next to me. Um, but it's great. It's amazing. Um, I just wish I had more time to read. Well, quickly because I I no, we have a lot to get through, but I'm curious how, with that li- library card of books, how do you pick which one you're going to read next? What's your filter? 
Um, well, I read based on what's in my calendar, right? So I book. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I look and see what's coming up. And I know that some books I need to start a couple weeks ahead of time uh, to make sure I get enough reading done. Some books, like nonfiction books, for instance, I can just sit at my desk and, and plow through. But you know, literary fiction takes a long time. And so I have to start that weeks ahead. So mm-hmm. I just do it based on my calendar and make sure that I'm sort of simultaneously getting through enough of a bunch of different books. I, mean, I read so many books at the same time, all the time. So it's not like I do one and then another, but um, I'll take like three next to my bed. Okay. <laughs> you must be a popular person to sit beside at, at dinner parties because someone can always turn to you and say, well, Zibby, what are you reading? <laughs> and I'm just wondering how many authors, do you have you kept account with how many authors you've interviewed over the past few years? And I also wonder, how do you keep things so fresh and lively? Um, I've interviewed over 600 people. I don't know how I keep things fresh and lively. I think it's because I'm so excited about everything. Um, right. I'm like, I like genuinely, I'm, ex- <laughs> I'm like really passionate and excited. And everyone has such a different story to tell. Yeah, and all yeah. the books and all the people, it's, you know, if you sat next to me at dinner, you would end up being the one doing most of the talking. I hope because I really like learning. This is a non-traditional thing with you guys interviewing me. I would much rather be interviewing you. Aww. So, um, I get a lot of enjoyment from learning about other people and their processes and I like learning. So I don't know. I'm just always curious. Well, it shows. Now, is there a golden unicorn, an author that you've been questing over all this time that, um, just with that, just outside your reach? Um, I always wanted Anna Quinlan and I just got her after she had turned oh. me down so many times, um, or her publicist or whatever. So maybe like the sixth or seventh time she finally said yes, because it was through somebody she knew, um, that I knew. So that was really exciting. Now I'm I really a big like fan to, of hers too. Right. I love her. Oh yeah. my gosh. I've been reading her stuff forever. Um, I'm yeah. pleased for you. That's good. It's nice when that one that one comes that you really want to hear. Yeah. Well, good. speaking of really wanting to hear, you did an interview I was watching on Good Morning America and about your book, Moms Don't Have Time to Read, a quarantine anthology. But you said something that really rang true, and it was, the things we don't have time to do are actually all the things that make life worth living. I mean, especially now, that that just really rang true. And so I guess my question is, how did you become so wise so young? <laughs> um, thank you. I have had a lot of loss in my life. Um, mm-hmm. Starting when I was 25, I lost my roommate and best friend on 9-11. And <gasps> um, <sighs> it changed my life. Mm-hmm. Like There was the before and there was the after. And mm-hmm. we had been inseparable for almost – six years since we had met at the beginning of college I'm and so lived sorry. together for four years. That's okay. Um, and especially during that time when your friends are like everything, right? We weren't married yet, none of that. Um, and I had just left living with her to go to business school. And then two weeks out into business school, 9-11 happened and she worked in the North Tower. And um, for a long time, I believed that she had been at her desk and had been hit like immediately, like she wouldn't have known. She just disappeared into thin air. Mm-hmm. And she had taken the job to sort of pad her resume for business school so she could apply the following year. And oh, it no. just all seemed so unfair. And yeah. uh, I got a very uh, – a crash course into life not being guaranteed. 
and nothing being guaranteed. And then over the next year, I lost many more people to my grandfather, my step-grandfather, my stepbrother, my best friend from high school committed suicide. It was like quite a year and mm-hmm. um, it changed everything. And so I just, and I've always been, I should say, like super sensitive, right? So this is, you know, I was like sitting in the car when I was eight being like, well, how do we know that your blue is my blue? You know, (laughs) you know, it's always been at the soul and this and that. So I've always been that way. I've always been an old soul myself. But I think that that combined with some of the experiences that I lived through of just, I don't know, this is just, I I have this, you know, it's like a a raw nerve. (laughs) Yeah. And it obviously, it seems like time becomes a real issue for you. I mean, you obviously are very sensitive to time. Yes. You know, you graduated from Yale and Harvard Business School, Zibby. Is this the kind of career you envision for yourself? And if not, well, I guess we've touched on a little bit about what inspired you to pursue a literary life. But I'm I'm interested in what you thought it would be, what you thought your professional life would be. Well, starting when I was a little girl, I wanted to be a writer. That's really all I ever wanted to do. And I interned at Vanity Fair after my freshman year of college. And I was like, there is no path from being an intern at Vanity Fair to being a writer at Vanity Fair. So I was like, I'm not going to, I can't just be a writer. I have to like go out and do other stuff. Um, so that's what I did. And then I ended up really enjoying all of that other stuff as well. I love uh, psychology and I thought about being a psychologist for very seriously, um, And then I realized you could apply psychology to consumer behavior and what makes people buy things. And that was really interesting to me. But I do remember this time at business school, I took a, like a course about, you know, finding your perfect career or something ridiculous. And (laughs) I remember thinking like, okay, here's my skill set. There's no answer to what I should be doing. <laughs> like, I, I am very clear on my strengths, but yeah, no, there's nothing. And it's so crazy because like my career, it turns out, had not even been invented yet. Yeah. So I, I mean, I did do a lot of journalism and I've done like all these different types of things along the way. But, um, for me, the bar was set pretty high, which is, you know, if I'm going to get killed sitting at my desk doing my job, mm. then I have to be doing something that brings all of me to what I'm doing. It can't be marketing pepperidge farm cookies anymore. Like it has to be all me. And so mm-hmm. that's what it ended up being. And and my goodness, you certainly did write a lot. <laughs> We're going to talk about that in a minute, but let me go back just for a second. About you said you experienced so much loss in your life and that contributed to your wisdom. But I'm thinking in particular of this last year, 2020, which we all know it was very hard for you because you lost your mother-in-law, your grandmother-in-law, is that correct? And of course, I followed you when you actually had COVID-19 yourself. And it was very touching. I lost a number of family members as well. And it's a year, it really was a year like no other. And I guess uh, looking at your work and productivity in this tough year, it didn't stop. So how do you keep being creative when life is is handing you such so many blows or how do you make lemonade from lemons this is how i process life so it's not how did i do it despite that it's i did it because of that um mm. i shared on instagram as i went through everything because writing about what i'm going through and sharing it is is how i make sense of the world and it always has been 
So um, there were times where I had trouble reading, <laughs> um, you know, in the yeah. aftermath of, of my mother-in-law's loss. I, you know, the, the next 10 days or so, it was very hard. I, I did finally get into a couple books, but, um, you know, it was, it was hard. But then again, reading is how I escape. Reading is how I self-soothe um, and all of yeah. that. And if there's ever been a time for escape and self-soothing, it's been the last year. So mm-hmm. um I've just been able to ramp up. And I think that my desire to help people in the literary community, it just seemed at the beginning of the pandemic, like I was sort of set up to do that in a way that I had to, to take it, not not take advantage. That sounds wrong, but like I had to use, I could could do it. So I had to do it. Like everyone was jumping in to help in some way, shape or form. And this was the way I could jump in and help. And so I just doubled down and I was like, I'll do whatever I can because everyone needs help. You know, I couldn't go to the hospital necessarily and help out the doctors, Mm -hmm. but could I help a debut author with a book coming out to no bookstores being opened? Yeah, that I could do. So that's what I did. Well, so now I see that you're writing a novel. So what can't you do? I am <laughs> not writing I am novel. not writing a novel anymore. Thank you. Oh, no, I am just not I that's news. I have I have written a novel um but I am actually writing a memoir now um uh-huh. which uh, I will have some news about soon. Well good. I'm so glad to hear that because after listening to your comments about your life and wisdom, I, I make I'll be first in line to buy it. Oh, but are you still you. writing the children's books? Because I want to know about is it the Princess uh Charming who I want to read about? Yes. Um uh, Princess Charming is coming out in March of twenty twenty two from Flamingo, an imprint of Penguin Random House. And I just wrote the second one of those. So I don't know when that will come out. Oh, you out. finished it. Oh, good for you. Oh, the first I mean it's a children's book. It's like don't say that. No, no, literally, Zibby, I have to say, I just finished my first middle grade, which you have in your hands, I think. And I think the biggest surprise for me was how difficult no, it was. No, 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 no. I wrote, so I wrote I'm a saying- picture book. You wrote, <laughs> you wrote this. I wrote like a picture book with like, a hundred words or something but crazy. But it's still hard to write that musical. Don't you, it has to be musical and have a little rhyme to it maybe. Didn't you find, what was the most difficult part? I did not you? find that hard. I love, <laughs> I did not find it hard uh, at all, but I, I loved there it. There you are. Yeah, but it was not hard. So maybe there'll be more Princess Charming? Yes, there will definitely be two, um, but we'll see what comes after that. Good for you. You know, what I'm wondering, Zibby, I'm wondering if you're seeing any kind of common thread in this latest crop of books written during the pandemic. Do you think, and I know Mary Alice's book that comes out in May has a, um, has some of the pandemic in it. Do you think you're going to see pandemic themed literature as a trend in for 21 and 22? Um, well, because of the slow cycle, I'm actually wondering if I'm going to see more of that the following year almost, right? It takes so long for things to come out. But already, I have to say, in a lot of nonfiction books and in introductions and things like that, it has been in a lot of those um, and in memoir a little bit, but not so much in fiction, oh. I have found. I have not seen it yet really in fiction, but in I don't think I can think of an example of seeing it yet in fiction. It's, but we'll it see. was difficult. It was uh, having done it. It was probably the toughest book I ever wrote. I think it does take time and a lot of perspective. But I've been the New York Times actually had quite a few segments on life post pandemic and life during the pandemic, which I thought were very good too. 
Well, I'd like to switch the gears a little bit and ask about uh, Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight podcast, which I think, speaking of the pandemic, is certainly timely. A number of us have gained the COVID-15, and swimsuit season is coming. What I loved about the podcast community was people really contributed their their successes, their advice, their tears, their, you know, what to, what's right and what's wrong. I'm curious what prompted you to begin this community. I mean, everything that's come out of this whole brand has been sort of on a whim. I've had no big strategy for it. I should not admit that, but it's true. So it all just comes out of the things I'm thinking and feeling. Um, I had gained weight during the pandemic. I felt really bad about it one day. I posted about it. So many people felt the same way and commented <laughs> back. I thought, well, I, let's get everybody together because that's like one thing I like to do is if people are feeling the same way, let's somehow connect everybody to each other and to mm. me and everything else. So I started it. And then once I had the community on Instagram, I was like, well, I might as well have a podcast. Um, so I have found that my attention to that waxes and wanes based on how focused I am on trying to lose weight myself, <laughs> which I have not been very good about lately. Um, uh. But I'm also starting Moms Don't Have Time to Travel and Moms Don't Have Time to Grieve and a new podcast called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Sex, which um, I'm going to launch on Mother's Day. Oh, which, no, which is, that is yes, hysterical. I love gonna it. It's going to be so funny. I'm, it's, um, it'll be very different. It's a Q&A format, kind of like Dear Abby, but with this international um, sex expert who's written 17 books and she's British and she's hilarious. And this launches when? That's hopefully launching Mother's Day. All so right, I'll be I'll be listening. It, it's going to be very funny. I mean, she wants me to ask her these questions. I'm like, I can't say this out loud, <laughs> and she's like, That's why it's going to be funny. Yeah, so, oh my gosh. Anyway, so that's I'm looking forward to that. That me too. That'll be very amusing. If it's like any of the others, it'll be very lively. Yes, it will be oh. lively. <laughs> Well, talking about how moms don't have time to have sex is a great place to say that we have reached the part where we come to authors don't have time to talk anymore <laughs> because we have to go do other things in the podcast. I, but I feel like we've just touched the tip of the iceberg of stuff we could talk about with you, Zibby. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you thank for you. having me. Oh, thank you so much. And I'm guessing you have a book right nearby you're dying to dive into. I have, I have all of your books right <laughs> nearby, actually. I could, I mean, I'm, I have my whole nine books. Look at this, thank so. you. <laughs> We're not very here. And for everyone out there, thank you for listening to Zibby Owens today. And be sure to get a copy of Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology wherever books are sold. And we hope you enjoyed listening to the Friends in Fiction podcast. If you have, please subscribe and join us for our live show every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. You can find us on our Friends in Fiction Facebook page or watch live on our YouTube page or at parade.com. Until then, bye-bye, Zibi, and happy reading. Thank you for tuning in. Join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And please, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.